What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we speak to one of our favorites, basketball scribe Michael Lee. Because amidst all the awfulness in our political world, the NBA season is blessedly starting. And there is no one I'd rather talk to about the upcoming season than Mr. Lee. Also, I've got some choice words about a recent rebellion that took place on a University of Maryland football plane. And I've got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards, a very special Colin Kaepernick watch, a new feature, Sportsbook of the Week, and so much more. But first, let's go to Michael Lee. If you could get a sit-down for 30 minutes with any athlete or coach and you're armed with some truth serum, who would it be? Ooh. Um, LeBron? I would probably go with LeBron James. Just because I just want to, um, I mean, now he, he's usually pretty honest as it is, but I just want to have him break down everything that's ever stood out in his career, every moment that uh that's been controversial um every teammate um battle that he may have had um i want to get his real thoughts on Kyrie Irving leaving i want to get his real thoughts on what he thought of the Cavaliers when he left for Miami and his real thoughts what he thought of Miami when he left Cleveland i want to get his real thoughts about what his objective is in LA right now and uh why he wasn't obsessed with trying to get another all-star running mate with him in his first year in Los Angeles. Um, I just want to get, I want to, I'm going to go through everything. You know, he's, he's easily the most uh, compelling athlete in all the sports. And, uh, and I, I think that if I had true serum and just got a real story with everything, um, the reason why he didn't want to play with Andrew Wiggins and why he traded him off, um, his real thoughts on just every teammate. Um, I, I, I think that, it would be fantastic. Okay, what about historically? And you're still armed with that sodium pentothal. All right, NBA, which athlete? Um, I will probably... You're not allowed to say Michael Jordan. All right, then. <laughs> you know what? Actually, whoever... Uh, somebody already took care of that during the, his Hall of Fame speech. You know, before he went up there, he, he like, drank a whole you know, gallon of truth serum before he went up there and put everybody on blast. So 
I think Michael probably exposed everything we needed to know from his Hall of Fame speech. Um, wow, that's a tough one. You know, I, I would, um, well, since he's my favorite player anyway, I probably would just go with Magic. Um, because, you know, the one thing about Magic that, that always strikes me, and, um, you know, as, as, a, as a guy who's, like, always been, had his back and believe he's the greatest, um, is that whenever he talks about other players, he's, 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 he's the way he was as a, as a player, you know. He likes to deflect. He likes to uh, share the wealth. He, he doesn't want to make it all about him, even though it inevitably it was, is. Um, like, he always says Kobe's the greatest Laker. He always, you know, says that Michael was the man. And he never really puts himself up there about, you know, as, as, as in that hierarchy. He always tries to play humble and play uh, and stay low-key. But I'd like to get some truth serum to get his thoughts on just everything, you know, from um, his situation with Isaiah, what really happened there, um, to understanding uh, the rivalry with Larry Bird, um, just what that was really like during that period, um, you know, and just his, his thoughts on just the, the current, you know, players in the league and just uh, if he feels like he gets the appreciation that he, that he does from fans. Because for me, I grew up a Laker fan. And I, I, Magic is the reason why I love basketball to this day. He's the reason why um, I'm an NBA reporter because I just I, yeah, I fell in love with the game, watching him just leading a fast break, you know. Um, and I just I feel like a lot of times when people talk about the GOAT and they talk about the greatest, it, it offends me that people don't really talk about a guy who made nine NBA finals in his first 12 seasons and who was always – in contention, always from high school to college to every stage of his NBA career, um, you know, the first 12 years before HIV. Um, and then I want to get, you know, the truth on like how, how he's been able to, you know, seemingly get stronger, you know, the last 27 years since the announcement that he had HIV. I think that's to me, as somebody who cried the day that he made the announcement and somebody who almost got into a fight with his uh, neighbor because he mentioned that he had HIV and I thought he was lying to me. Um, I mean, I know how emotional I was. I thought he was going to die before the end of the year. Um, 27 years later, he's going strong. I just, I, I don't know. I, I would love to just sit down and magic. And we should say we were all on edge. I mean, Arthur Ashe was dying of AIDS at the time, so it was a tense time. Yeah. I, I got to say that you told me in 1992 that in 2018 we'd be talking more about Magic, the basketball player, than Magic Johnson Absolutely. with HIV, I would have been really surprised. Yeah, there's an entire generation of kids who don't even really know, like, that he has it or had it or however that is, <laughs> whatever the explanation is now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and they don't even understand, you know, during that era, like you said, uh, you know, that was like a death sentence. And so, you know, if somebody had HIV or AIDS, you know, that was it. They were gone. And, you know, this guy is not only just around, but, like, he is, he's strong, man. He's, you know, successful businessman, you know, uh, GM of the Lakers, um, you know, just pulled off, you know, the, one of the biggest trade and sightings in the franchise organization's history. And they've had plenty, you know. Um, so I would just love to sit down and talk to Magic just because he's my favorite anyway. Wow, we were doing this NBA preview to get away from the doom and gloom of the world, and this is where we end up. Okay, <laughs> is there a storyline that you are most excited to see play out this year? Well, yeah. Um, I think the Warriors, um, 
are obviously the storyline that is interesting and compelling because this could be the last run for this group. You know, um, they've made, you know, four straight trips to the finals, three, won three championships during that run. Um, and everyone's all eyes are going to be on Kevin Durant to see if he's going to have a wandering eye and start pursuing other options after this year. Um, you know, I think the agreement that they came to with the Warriors and, and Durant um, has worked out for both sides. You know, they got the two championships that they desired out of it so far, and he's got the finals MVPs and the championships and the respect uh, that he's desired. Um, but then they're getting older as a group. He just turned 30, steps 30, and you just wonder how long can this team, you know, basically stay engaged. You know, can they do it again for a fifth run um, to the finals, which would be incredible. You know, I know a lot of people, you know, you talk about LeBron making eight straight trips to the finals. He did it with two teams and with two teams who were built to make run, deep runs in the playoffs. For a team to do it five years in a row with essentially the same core, that is truly remarkable um, if they're able to do it just because there's so many things that happen. You know, guys break down. Um, uh, guys start to not want to be around each other anymore. Guys start getting hungry for more, you know, like Kyrie Irving kind of broke up that thing in Cleveland because he didn't want to be around anymore. Um, in Miami, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, you know, Dwayne got old, you know. So, you know, situations happen where it's eventually time to say, okay, this was fun. But with the Warriors, they're they're trying to make it five year in a, five in a row. They got the Marcus Cousins in the mix, um, so obviously that's probably an easy choice. Um, there's there's some other situations. That, um, I still want to see what happens with Jimmy Butler. I want to see if he finally gets traded. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think that'll be or or if you know the Timberwolves just wind up choking each other every game just <laughs> just because <laughs> yeah, they because they can't stand each other. Um, you know, Celtics are going to be intriguing um, because they have a lot of talent and they have a lot of guys who have proven that they warrant shots, they warrant, you know, um, attention. And uh, who's going to defer to whom? Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the guy to take over? Uh, because they all kind of have a rightful claim in terms of talent and status, you know. Um, you would look at Kyrie as being that guy, but he wasn't around for Game 7 of the uh, NBA uh, Conference Finals, you know. <laughs> He's still the guy that's won a championship ring. Um, but does Jason Tatum want to be that guy to take that shot at the end? Because he's done it, and, he, and he's done it on a big stage, you know. Um, does Jalen Brown want it, you know. Does Gordon Hayward want it? Because he's been taking a while just to have a chance to play basketball again. So, And when you look at Brad Stevens as a guy who has successfully coached underdogs pretty much his entire coaching career from Butler – a team that's never that was not expected to do anything, making back-to-back trips to the championship game. That was the ultimate underdog story. He goes to Boston. That team was expected to have a really uh, difficult rebuild. It's one of the reasons why Doc Rivers bolted to go to the Clippers, and he's already elevated Boston to you know to be the elite team of the East right now. Um, how does he lead a team that is truly expected to win with everybody healthy? Um, you know, that, that'll be a different role. I mean, I, I think he'll be fine, but I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see how he handles it where the expectations are that they're going to win and that they're going to dominate and that he has to satisfy uh, so many egos through the process. He never really had to do that. He had a bunch of scrappy guys that just played hard and gave it all they got. And they were gritty and grimy, and they still have those elements, but they also have stars now, guys who, um, you know, 
who 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 warrant a little different type of uh, attention. So, um, yeah. Now the Celtics situation seems to be unique in that typically young ascendant talents take that next step the following year. Yeah. But here it seems like we're talking about a team where young guys will be asked to scale back. Yeah. And sacrifice. I've never seen that. Yeah. No. I mean, it's especially when you have young guys. I mean, it's not. It's a thing if you have veterans, and even they, even they have issues sometimes. You know, um, when the Celtics had the big three, and they had all these thirty-year-old guys. You know, Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and and Paul Pierce. You know, they made it work for that first year. They won a championship, but then as time went on, eventually Ray got a little frustrated that he wasn't being utilized the way he wanted to be utilized. And this is a vet it has a ring. You know, these guys don't have rings. These guys are trying to reach that that level. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're all able to just say, okay, tonight's not going to be my night. I'll let him get it. And, you know, if we win, everyone says the right things now. Oh, if we win, everybody gets the – that sounds good. But um, when you have contract extensions on the line, you have, you know, um, you know, just, again, just, you know, you want to elevate your own status in this league. And, and, and you know, so there will be, there'll be situations. Then you got Gordon Hayward in the mix who's trying to just get back into being a, a serviceable NBA, NBA player and not let alone just being an all-star again. He wants to be at that level, but he's got to work himself back. He missed an entire year of basketball, and that's going to be difficult because they want Gordon to be what he was when they signed him, but it's going to take a while for him to get there. And will Tatum and Brown be willing to wait for him to get to that level where they just going to go and just take over, which will make it more difficult for Gordon to find a rhythm? You know, uh, so I'm I'm looking at that team, and I and I think that they have the talent to to they have the most talent in the East without question. They should win just based on what you see, but we know that you know when it comes to basketball, it takes a lot more than just having elite talent um, to win. Um, you know, they they got great they got a great coach, and that's the one thing that I give them, and one of the reasons why I feel like they're going to be fine because Brad Stevens is just, I think he's the best young coach in the league. Um, and so I think he's, and I think he's I always uses the description of him as, as a leader of men. I think he's a leader of men. And I think he uh, finds ways to um, encourage, um, to, you know, to, you know, really inspire and to make guys believe something in themselves that maybe no one else can see. I think that's one of the reasons why so many of these guys overachieve because they they come away with a sense that they can go out there and do what no one else expects. So I think he can he can he can get it done. But again, these are humans; these are young guys, and we know how it goes when you have a bunch of young guys on the same team. Um, you know, you you can, you can clash, but they do have good leadership by Al Horford as well. He's the one guy who I'm not worried about in that whole mix. <laughs> I mentioned him last. Yeah, Rajon Rondo once said that Brad Stevens is one of the best coaches he's ever been around, and yeah. know, that's Rondo. Yeah, and you and you think about the coaches that he's been around who have championship rings. Doc Rivers has a ring. Roy Carlisle has a ring. Um, and, you know, he obviously bumped heads with Doc and Rick. Rick probably to a more extreme level. Um, but, yeah, to give Brad Stevens those props to let you know just how what a truly great coach he is, yeah. Does Kevin Durant stay at Golden State next year? Uh, do you have the gut feeling like Marcus Thompson from The Athletic that he's not going to be there? Well, the vibe that I get is that I don't think he really knows. 
And I think that if you're basing everything on what happened last year, then I think that it's okay to go into this season to consider that as a possibility. Um, I think that when Kevin signed there, his intention was to be there long-term and to eventually um, be on the floor when they open up that new arena in San Francisco. Um, I think that's something he's talked about a lot. You know, this is the last season in Oakland. Um, so I know those fans are in Oakland are probably going to be a little salty about the fact that a team that they followed through some really um, awful seasons and they support it wholeheartedly um, is about to leave, not, not to get as good. Um, but I think that Kevin is somebody who doesn't quite know where he is and where he, I think he's clearly doing what anybody would do in this situation. Like you're looking around, you're seeing what your options are, but we know that sometimes, you know, things that look good today won't look good uh, a year from now. So I think he's just going to play, play it cool, play out the season and just see how things work. You know, um, last year, I think there were, there was some tension, you know, there was a lot of things that, that weren't addressed in terms of, um, you know, what the Warriors are doing to make, you know, Kevin feel accepted and, you know, more prominent. Um, and then there were things that, that he had done to sort of, you know, give Steph the uh, stage because it, it is his team. And so I think there was a balancing act. And sometimes that balancing act became, you know, a little little difficult to, um, to handle. But, um, but I think that this year, if things go really smooth, they win three in a row and everybody's happy, um, it might be hard for him to leave, but if it's a grind, like last year was a grind for the Warriors. I mean, they went through, they just moments where they weren't motivated, moments where they just didn't care, moments where, you know, you know that there'd be a games that they play and they say, okay, we don't have to play for three quarters. Just play one quarter, outscore our opponent by 20, and then we know we're going to win. And that's sort of how they approached a lot of last season. Um, so I think that that took a little bit of the joy out of it. And it sort of made it, um, you know, just something that they had to do. Oh, we're supposed to win the championship, so let's go win it. And this year, um, I think there's a lot in that this, this could be the final run, that it could be a thing that through the course of the year, you know, they get through it and they really say, you know what, this is too good to really break up. And they decide to stay. Or, you know, um, you know, some, some situations – may not be as attractive. Like right now, say the Knicks are the team that's being mentioned as a possibility for Durant. And I'm sure it's a team he's going to, he's thinking about now or will be considering a hit free agency. But what happens if Kristaps Porzingis doesn't come back from the knee injury or he has a setback, is that place going to be that attractive? Um, you know, uh, so I think that, you know, you got to look around the Lakers, you know, will he go play with LeBron? Is that really a wise thing to do? Um, but I think that anybody who's a free agent who's been kind of signing one-year deals to give himself, put himself in a power position, um, is, is clearly going to be, you know, exploring other options and knowing that if they win three championships, he doesn't want really to owe Golden State anything. They don't owe him anything, and it'd be okay to uh, to move on. But um, but I, I I feel a lot just hinges on how this season goes, and if if things are are smooth and and great. Um, I think there's a possibility that he decides to stick around just for that San Francisco trip. How about my Washington Wizards? What do you see happening there? They are not in the mix. They are not in the mix. No. No, he does not. You know, um, it's, it's like anybody who um, who grew up in a city. They love it. 
Um, they love that they grew up there, but they also know that there's more out there and there's more places for them to go to learn and discover uh, parts about themselves that they can't where they grew up. And I think that's sort of how he looks at D.C. Um, it's a it's a lovely place. It's it's in his it's in his it's in him. You know, he is D.C. It's in his core, but um, he doesn't need to live there for that to be the case anymore. Um, he knows what D.C. gave him. He knows the drive, the will, all the things that made him great come from the fact that he, you know, played ball, you know, and see Pleasant, you know, that that's that's him. Um, but he doesn't have to go back um, for that to, you know, that stuff. It doesn't have to, but I, I, <laughs> it'd be nice for Wizards fans. But uh, but I, I think, you know, like, like you grew up in New York, right? Yeah, I'm from New York, but I decided that I was going to switch fan allegiance around the Agent Zero era of Washington Wizards basketball. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, I grew up in Kansas City, and I love my hometown. I love it to death, but I don't see myself going back there to live. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think that, and I think that's just where Kevin is. You know, it's just, I mean, I think he, if he could, he, he loved the bring some joy to DC folks. And I think that's why he tries to rep DC every, every chance he gets, but he just doesn't want to have to rep it while wearing a Wizards jersey. Here's a question. I want to pivot to Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that thing was orchestrated from top to bottom. Like, do you think that was orchestrated <laughs> on high by Pat Riley or, or how much coordination do you think um, went into the Jimmy Butler yeah. practice? where he torched Carl Anthony Towns and then immediately slid into an interview with Rachel Nichols from ESPN. For sure. I mean, it was an ultimate power play. Um, and I think the one thing that Jimmy knew about those guys, like he wouldn't try to pull that stuff if he hadn't already done that thing in practice before. Like, I think there's been many instances where he's gone in there and punk Carl Anthony Towns and punk Andrew Wiggins and punked everybody in there to let him know that he's a, he's a, the guy, he's the alpha in that locker room. I think he went in there um, knowing full well he could do it again because he's been working hard. He's he stays in great shape. He's been preparing for being traded so he can go somewhere and just unleash, you know, holy hell on everybody once he gets a chance to play again. And the fact that Minnesota is sort of, um, you know, just holding on to him for reasons that only make sense to Tibbs, I think he just wanted to let everybody know who the man is. Who who the guy that, that really runs things in that on that team, and uh, it was yeah, it's clearly orchestrated. I don't necessarily like that he did that um, because you know there's one thing about letting everybody know that you're you're the man and you're in charge, but there's one thing about humiliating your pro your, your teammates in the process, and I think that's sort of overlooked. You know, I know in sports a lot of times being a jerk, you know, that's sort of encouraged in professional sports. We sort of admire guys. Like we admire the fact that Kobe sometimes was a difficult teammate and he cursed guys out and you know and belittled them publicly or even um, in practice. I think we sort of praise that as being just so somebody so determined to win that he's going to do whatever it takes. Um, but I think in, in some instances, like with the Minnesota Timberwolves, like uh, to call out Toronto Towns and Wiggins and say they're not about winning, I think that's a tough thing to say about a guy who's 22 years old um, because every young guy is not totally obsessed with winning because, you know, when you get into the league, your number one objective is to prove that you belong. And then your next objective is to prove that, you know, you're among the best. And then you start to 
establish yourself, you know, as you start knocking down, you know, all those other things. Um, if you look at a guy like Anthony Davis, you know, I think everybody is sort of in agreement that he is a phenomenal basketball player. He's a great player. And um, he had some difficulty winning early on in his career. But I don't think anybody would look at him and say he wasn't about winning. He was about trying to establish himself. When I look at a guy like Anthony Towns, I think that he's still trying to figure out the league. He's still trying to figure out what he's going to become and how he fits in this league. And I know a lot of that comes with chasing stats and, and getting numbers. But how do you get a reputation in this league if you don't have the, the numbers to back it? So um, I feel like it's, it's unfair for a guy to sort of, even though he's at a different stage in his career, to sort of look at young guys who are trying to get there and say, well, you're not there, so you stink to me, and I don't want to play with you. Whereas a leader, a leader is going to be somebody that looks at what they can do, looks at who they are, and then tries to inspire that, you know, and try to um, elevate those guys. And, and everybody is looking at these guys as being chumps because they didn't step up Jimmy. And, you know, but that's also probably not their personalities right now. Like, <laughs> they don't know how to really, you know, be, you know, in-your-face leaders and, and, you know, challenging guys and getting – because they haven't, they haven't established anything yet. And my issue with Jimmy is that what has he established? He's established that he's a four-time All-Star. But has he established that he can win playoff series? He's won – he's gone to the second round. That's as far as he's gone. And um, so – it's not like he's won championships. I mean, I understand you play hard. And that's great. I love your heart. I love your heart. I love the way that you built yourself up to become a four-time All-Star when no one really saw that coming. I love that about Jimmy. I love, you know, his underdog story. But I also think that you got to be realistic in that if you look at the situation in Chicago where he, you know, really isolated himself from the younger players there and really made it hard for them. Um, and he also made it hard for the veterans there. I mean, you look at guys like Noah and, and Gibson and, and Rose, there was a stretch where Jimmy, you know, when he started to feel himself and say, hey, I'm the man, that those guys were kind of looking at him like, come on, man, chill out. Like, <laughs> we know you're good, but you don't have to tell us you're good every day. Like, we see that. And, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm a team that's looking at it, you know, maybe I look at it and say, yeah, I want him on my squad. But I'm also looking at it like, okay, if I bring him on my squad, what's he going to do? How is he going to disrupt this locker room? Because if it's all about proving that I'm the man and proving that I'm the guy, then then that's not really what it's about. Like what we need to prove is that we can make sure that when we step on the floor, that everybody in here is confident enough to play basketball and win games. But if everybody's just scared of you, <laughs> how are we going to win games in that in that in that scenario? So that's sort of how I look at the Jimmy situation, and I think that. You know, Kevin Garnett may have said, made some comments like, I don't know if he's good enough to warrant this kind of uh, hype. And and, and I, I think it was cold comment from Kevin, but I also think that there's a little bit of truth in that, in that if you're going to be that guy, yeah, if you're going to be the guy to go in there and just blast everybody, then you got to have a little more on your resume, in my opinion. You got to have a little more on your resume. You got to have some, some rings, but you got to have some, Finals appearances, you got to have something on there other than all-star appearances because at that point, what do you like? Constantly, I was like, what do you have that I don't have? You know, we all we all lost in the first round to Houston. You know, if you if we had won that series and you you know destroyed James Harden and Chris Paul in the first round, and we're sitting here you know 
we play playing the Warriors in the conference finals because of you, then I'm like, all right, cool. But if we're all if we're all going out in five, <laughs> you know, what what are you what what's happening here? So bottom line, you think he's going to get traded or want to get traded? Um, I, well, I guess I've, I've read that they've they yeah I think they've included him in, in some talks. I think the the issue is that Tibbs doesn't want to pull the trigger. I think Tibbs knows that he has a bunch of guys like I said earlier who are young and don't quite understand the commitment that it's going to take to win. And and you don't have that right away. Nobody does. You know, think about this. You know how long it took? LeBron didn't make it to the playoffs until his third year in the league. You know what I mean? But then look at him his first couple years, like he didn't know, he didn't know how to win. No, because he didn't. It, it takes time for just about everybody. And, you know, Dwayne Wade won a championship his third year, but he's also, you know, in a pretty – he was surrounded by vets, and he was on a pretty veteran-laden team with Shaq and Alonzo and Gary Payton. I mean, everybody comes up to different environments. When you're a young guy being asked to lead right away, it's very difficult. And I use examples that, you know, from covering John Wall. I remember his rookie year, and they made him captain, and they were doing all this stuff, and he was the leader of the team. And I remember talking to him a lot during his rookie year, and, and uh, he was telling me that, you know, it's really hard for me to, well, and looking back, he said it was really hard for me to be a leader when I didn't know where I was going. And that's the one thing that you that you lose when you talk about young guys in the NBA is that, you know, you look at them, you give them all this money, you give them all this praise, you got them in shoot commercials, you got them plastered all over everything, and you look at them and think this guy should be a finished product because look at all the talent he has. But just like any young guy, yeah, but they're one-and-done guys. They didn't go through. It seems ahistorical to your point. Yeah, it, but but also think about and and also think about it. Just imagine if Magic had come to the Lakers and Kareem just belittles him in his entire rookie year, like he doesn't know how to win. What? How is that going to work? If if Tim Duncan arrives and and Dave Robinson just like, oh, this young guy doesn't know anything. Tim Duncan's learning. He figured it out quickly because he's that talented. But you know, you got to have vets that are encouraging and supportive. You know, I think that David Robinson came in and was like, you know what, this young guy is going to win me some championships. So I either I get on board with it and encourage him or I belittle him along the way and they wind up trading me out of the way because they know I got to build with him. David Robinson was like, you know what, I'm going to make it work with this guy because I know I'm, I'm better if he's better. And I think that's sort of what Jimmy is sort of losing is that if, if Wiggins is encouraged and confident – and Carlton Towns believes that Jimmy really supports him, then Minnesota's in a much better situation. But if they feel like, man, man, I better get it right, or Jimmy's going to yell at me, or Jimmy's going to jump me because, you know, I, I, um, I missed a defensive assignment, you know, that, I mean, I'm not saying you're not supposed to encourage in different ways, but to me, it just looked like they got bullied. And, um, and that's a difficult way to win. So bottom line, do you think he's going to get traded or what? Um, uh, he might probably still be with Minnesota, um, because you know, because t- he he basically has to show up. You know, there aren't there aren't holdouts in the NBA because once you start missing games, then you set yourself up for fines. You know, missing preseason and training camp, nobody really cares about that anyway. Um, but when you start missing games, you start missing you know the league's opportunity to really make money. Uh, you know, when these games are on TV and when you know people want to see what's going on. And you're sitting at home, man, that stuff doesn't work, you know. Um, so I think he wants to get out there and play. 
and 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 I think Tibbs wants him. Tibbs wants him on the floor. You know, I think Tim is Tibbs is, uh, is the guy who loves conflict. He's a guy that loves this sort of in your face sort of because he's he's that kind of guy. You know, so I think that's why he wants Jimmy around because he wants Wiggins and Towns to sort of have that kind of mentality. They, they don't have that mentality. It's not who they are. Um, but I think that he wants him there because he knows that they have a better chance of winning with him. Um, but if I'm the owner, I'm I'm really putting Tibbs foot to the fire because if I'm investing $350 million in two guys under the age of 23 because I want them to really be stars in this league, I can't have a guy doing interviews where he's belittling them and talking about how he destroyed them in practice. You know, um, and expecting that to lead to some, some, um, something positive. Um, you know, I, I just, I feel like at some point, you're you're not only hurting, you know, the image of your franchise, but you're hurting the two guys who you've invested, you know, like a quarter or more than a quarter of a billion dollars in to win basketball games. So, <laughs> um, for the for the best of everybody, I would just. I would I think it's best for Jimmy to move on and uh and if that requires removing Tibbs from his role as president of basketball operations, if I'm the owner, I would have to make that threat as well. We'll be back with this interview with Michael Lee in just a second, but first a quick word from the Edge of Sports Podcast. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zyron with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now for the part of this, and we've done this in years past, Michael, that I'm going to call you're bugging or you are bugging. I'm going to name some things that I think are going to happen in the NBA this year, and I want you to tell me if I'm bugging or not. Okay. So I think the Wizards are the third seed in the East after Toronto and Boston. <laughs> um, I think you're bugging. Well, because it's not just about the Wizards. I just look at, you know, the teams that they have to catch. You know, um, I, I, when I look at um, I look at Philly, I look at Boston, and I look at Toronto, those are the top three teams to me. And I feel like Indiana is uh, in that mix as well. And the Wizards are going to have to overcome those four teams first. I know they have, you know, a pretty talented roster, and they have a lot of guys who can um, who can really do some nice things. But um, I, I want to see it first. But uh, but I, I just I feel like um, I, I just, I just want to see. I, I like what I've seen of them in the preseason. Like I think that they, you know, played well. They looked like a team that really had a lot of talent. Um, and they have the ability to compete with everybody. Um, they do have a very deep roster, but I just, I just, I'm looking at the teams that they have to move up, move ahead of. Um, and I think it's they're they're sort of on that next tier. They're a tier below the three teams that I mentioned, and they're right in there with 
you know, Indiana, Milwaukee, um, um, yeah, Indiana, Milwaukee. I think they're right there with those with those bunch for that that four through six range, and I think that's sort of who they're going to be fighting with. Because um, I I just Toronto, you got to remember, this was a 59 win team last year, and they swapped out Demar Derozan for Kawhi Leonard, who you know Demar, I love him. Um, but I would say Kawhi is a little bit of an upgrade considering what he does on the defensive end. Um, and then you look at Boston. We already talked about all the talent they have on their roster. Philadelphia, they are different, but I think that they are, they are, they are. But they, but I, I would expect Embiid and Simmons to be better, you know. And I would, and uh, you know, if Embiid can stay healthy, that's a big question. But I think he's, um, if he plays, you know, seventy, sixty-five to seventy games. You know, I think that Philly's going to be really good this year, and I also, I also think that Markel Fultz has a chance to, um, to to start proving that, you know, he's a pretty good player as well. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I I still like what what Philly brings to the table. I, I think that just Simmons and Embiid are true, you know, generational talents. They have the ability to, you know, be in the argument as the best player at their position, you know, someday. I think that's how good they are. I think LeBron wins MVP as the Lakers become a third seed. Uh, you're kind of bugging. I think I think you're too bullish. That team isn't that good. But 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 I do see LeBron being mentioned in the MVP race. I, I definitely see him as an MVP contender because. People like me who are looking at that roster and saying, "There's no way in heck that team's gonna really be that good. <laughs> right?" Um, but um, but I think but I think he's gonna get that that team elevated. So they won 35 games last year. Let's say he gets them up to 47. A pretty big improvement from a year before. And everybody will look at it and say, "Well, why are they improved by 12 games? It'll be LeBron James." So if he gets them, you know, in that four or five mix. Um, in the, in the, you know, they went 47, 48 games, um, then, yeah, he's going to be the MVP mix, you know. So I, I think he has a legitimate shot to win MVP this year, but primarily because that that roster, the team that he has around him, uh, the expectations going in are going to be very high for the guys surrounding him. So that's, I think, I think what, what sort of keeps him from being a top three team <laughs> is what is sort of what makes him an MVP candidate, if that makes any sense. I think Trey Young is rookie of the year. I think you're bugging. I think you're bugging. No, I like Trey Young. And I think I think that um, you know, he's he's gonna be a lot better than people think. I think a lot of people want to stamp bust on him for whatever reason, because he's kinda of small and, you know, um when they look at him, they don't really see anything too special athletically. Um, but I, I think he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be fine. But when I look at other rookies, I'm looking at um, DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix. Um, I think he's got a real good shot to put up some monster numbers. Cause I think he's, I think he's going to be really good. And um, and honestly, I think that uh, the guy who was traded for Trey Young, <laughs> Luka Doncic is going to get a lot of hype as well down in Dallas. So if I had to pick two guys ahead of Trey, I would go with Doncic and Aiton as uh, as the guys the rookie of the year. Yeah. I think the Brooklyn Nets make the playoffs. 
you're bugging. Right? Or who, who's going to be their best player? Just tell me who their best player is. Is it D'Angelo Russell? I think it's D'Angelo Russell. My pick for most improved player. Uh, I, I cannot imagine that world. I'll say this. I, I see a world where Cleveland makes it ahead of Brooklyn. Now, if someone had said to you a year ago that the Indiana Pacers would have the regular season that they had and Victor Oladipo would emerge as one of the 15 best players <laughs> in the world, would you have predicted that? I would, I would, I would, I would not have, I would not have foreseen that at all. Like, and I, and I'll be honest, I'll be honest. Even after his first month, when he like was came out the seat out the gate and was blowing people away, you know, um, I interviewed him and wrote a story. I was like, I don't know if he'll be able to keep this up. You know, he, I don't know if he'll be able to maintain a, a higher scoring average than Paul George. And lo and behold, look at him. You know, he did it. So it, that's a, that's the beauty of the season, and that, I think that's sort of what. Um, you know, people forget, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be so boring. We already know who's going to win a championship and, you know, the Warriors are going to win and why even watch, you know, I'm like, you watch because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what's going to be an exciting story um, away from the Warriors or away from whoever wins the championship. You know, I hate that people get so obsessed on who's going to win the title and not just sit back and enjoy everything that's, that's going on in, in between. I mean, we've, we touched on a couple of, you know, storylines, but there's so many more. There's so many more interesting things going around in the league that are going to keep that's going to keep our eyeballs glued because what league embraces social media the way the NBA does? What league? What league is like the um? It's like a, a the lunchroom, you know, cafeteria, you know, in high in school, you know, you know, everybody's ragging on each other. People have, you know, people make jokes on, you know, go at each other on Twitter, on Instagram, guys, you know, call each other out. They call out reporters. I mean, there's going to be so much stuff going on this year that uh, there won't be any boring, you know, moments really. I mean, just the off season kept us engaged for from the minute this, the Warriors won that championship to open at night. We have never had a moment where there was a week that we didn't care about something in the NBA because something happened. It's going to be that way during the regular season, too. There are going to be so many moments where we're watching and saying to ourselves, oh, my gosh, we're, going, like, we're excited to see Brandon Ingram with the Lakers. Is he, is he going to take that next step with LeBron? You know, um, like Carmelo Anthony, is he really going to work out in Houston? But let me just back up because I, I want to see. I want to see how much you're bugging. I want to see if you're still bugging on other issues. I think the Dubs are vulnerable to the Houston Rockets as Carmelo finds his place seamlessly with this team. I don't think you're bugging. I don't know if you're right, but I don't think you're bugging. I don't think it's far-fetched to believe everything you said is, is a possibility. And um, and one of the reasons why I say that is because I, I don't want to underestimate the fact that Carmelo Anthony is playing with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, who is a phenomenal point guard, Chris Paul, who is a guy who can um, set up anybody and find them in their groove. You know, um, I don't know if Carmelo's ever played with two passers as good as Carmelo, I mean, as uh, Chris Paul and James Harden. And those guys are going to be feeding him, you know, with just wide open looks because they're going to they're going to force the lane to collapse, and they're going to um, 
you know, force the teams to collapse in the lane, and they're going to give him wide open looks. But they're not only going to do that, they are going to deliver the ball right in his kitchen. You know, I think that's one of the things that was overlooked with him in, um, in Oklahoma City is that he never looked like he took a rhythm shot. Everything he took was either rushed or, or forced. And a lot of that comes from not knowing when he's going to get the pass. And then if he gets the pass, not getting it where he wants it so he can just, you know, do a rhythm shot. So I think he's going to – that's not going to be an issue for him in Houston. Um, and, you know, and I, I liked, you know, you know, some of the moves they made. You know, all season two, they didn't do anything big and splashy. But, you know, Harden's still the MVP. Um, and they did push that team to seven games. And, um, and, and you know, in – if the weight of this being the last run, possible last run for the Warriors, you know, really grinds on them, then they're, they're, they are vulnerable. Um, or if DeMarcus Cousins, you know, um, you know, gets in and he disrupts, you know, what they had. Because I don't think people truly understand how how um, easily Kevin Durant made it look when he went there and won. People are like, oh, well, they won 73 games and you just came in. Man, that's not that easy. He could have come in there and been like, hey, y'all, I'm the man. I need 25 shots a game. Steph, you take a back seat. It's my team. All right, everybody, let's go. And they look at him like, you fool. But he came in there, you know, hum- humbly came in there and accepted whatever they gave him because he wanted to be a part of it, and they made it work. Um, you know, how is Cousins going to come in? You know, you because know, he's not only, you know, trying to prove to everybody that he can win, but he's also trying to prove that he's healthy and that he's worthy of the kind of contract that he didn't get, you know, after coming off an Achilles injury. So I think that there there are, are reasons to think that the Warriors could be vulnerable for sure. Um, you know, on the flip side, there are also things to look at like, hey, they're going to destroy everybody. But, you know, chemistry is not something that, that can be overlooked in, in, in professional sports, especially in basketball. Because, um, you know, when you got five, players on the floor, you know, like you, you guys call the Spurs and they had that beautiful game going. One thing, one reason why we all loved it is because they just worked together, you know, like, like a jazz band. Everybody was just playing their instrument and it was beautiful to watch and they're in sync with each other. And it was just that, that's that kind of chemistry is, is hard to, you know, create. So um, if Carmelo goes into Houston and he, you know, you know, blends well with his, you know, longtime buddy, Chris Paul, and um, and James Harden is still playing at MVP level. Um, you're not bugging. You're not bugging at all. But, uh, you know, I, I still, we still got to see it play out. I, I, it's, but you're not bugging. Bugging to me means you may have gone off the deep end. I don't think you did that with it. Now, I think you're bugging about my Wizards. I think they win 50 games. Yeah, I think you're bugging there. Well, yeah, I, will, I, will, I look forward to revisiting that. and it, It'd be it'd be cool if they were the third seed because, you know, it would be because a team, a franchise that hasn't done anything in 40 years, I mean, it would be it would be cool. Um, can they win 50 games? They, you know, that, that means they have to win 50 games. Speaking of the number 50, I, I'd be remiss if before we left this broadcast, I did not ask you about the 50th anniversary of an event that is happening this week. The commemoration is happening this week. It was 50 years ago when John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised their fists on the metal stand in Mexico City. I would just be remiss if I didn't ask you what that moment meant to you. 
Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I love it because, you know, when I, uh, I look at things um, and where we are 50 years later, <laughs> um, the fact that we have a, a super talented quarterback who is unemployed um, because he had the audacity to, uh, to to say that the country isn't living up to its standards. Um it, it it it's sort of disheartening that you know we look back and um, we generally consider that you know a phenomenal moment in American history uh, because of the stand they took the the hit that they took professionally personally for for years. Um, I see them as heroes. I see them as guys who really took a huge risk and put it all in line, you know, to make a statement. And so they'll always be admired by me. And um, I feel the same way about, you know, uh, Kaepernick right now. I'll always, I'll always have my admiration um, for what he was willing to do to try to raise awareness of an issue that people choose to ignore. Um, and it saddens me that, uh, that we've gone 50 years um, from a place where, you know, we look back and we say that that was a wonderful moment, um, a wonderful reflection of free speech. And, um, and 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 raising awareness um, to the inequalities uh, in this country, um, and we're 50 years later, and we're in a place where people don't look at it as a challenge to get better as a country, but as a challenge to get worse, and to stop viewing each other as as brothers and sisters or people, you know, in the same fight to try to make our nation better, but as enemies, um, it disheartens me. Um, so I truly admire what they did 50 years ago. I truly admire people like, you know, what Muhammad Ali did during that same period. Um, but it, it, it just is baffling to me that we're in this place 50 years later where anyone who makes a similar stand you know, has to go through the same level of ostracism. And I, it's, it's, it's disappointing because I think that we know what's right. We know what the right side of history is. Um, but so many of our, in our country choose to um, proudly and ignorantly uh, embrace the wrong side of history. <laughs> um, and we keep doing it to ourselves when all we have to do is just try to acknowledge that the pain and, um, you know, what needs to be acknowledged um, is real. And uh, it's just disappointing that we too many times try to find other reasons to discredit, you know, um, a really legitimate point um, just because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Um, We need to be uncomfortable. I think we need to be a lot more uncomfortable as a nation. and that's the only way we're going to get better as a country, you know, ignoring things, ignoring the plight of our fellow Americans, um, not viewing our fellow Americans as people who have legitimate grief and gripes. When we can look at numbers, statistics, history, and just look around <laughs> with our eyes um, and see that, you know, it's a shame that we're in this place, that we're still having the same fights. Um, I wish we were progressing to like 
other fights. I wish we were, you know, already in that uh, Star Trek world where <laughs> where we're beyond, you know, seeing women and people of color in leadership roles and where we just um, just accept that, you know, we're all out for the same things in this world. We all just want to be treated and respected the same. And, um, but for whatever reason, um, people refuse to move forward. All right. So now the question I ask everybody, what music are you listening to these days? You know, honestly, um, I'm, I'm going back because, uh, you know, I know you remember, remember September 29th, 1998. It was a day when, uh, uh, Tripod Quest released the love movement, um, Black Star, you know, released their debut album, Outcast released Equimini, uh, Brand Nubian uh, released Foundation, and then Jay-Z dropped. So I've been going back and just listening to music uh, from 20 years ago and uh, just going back to when I was uh, that young, you know, hungry kid. Oh, yeah, that was volume two, Hard Knock Life. Yeah, yep, yep. And it all, it all dropped on the same day. And back then I was a little young dude, um, you know, uh, right out of college. And uh, felt like the world was uh, right there in front of me. And uh, here I am, you know, 20 years later and, uh, you know, accomplished, you know, a lot of things that I never thought I would. Uh, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Um, but sometimes you got to go back to go forward. And I like to listen to that music, take me back to that place when um, when the world was just uh, – um, you know, it, it just seems like everything was at my grasp. And now I know that it's not. <laughs> I have a lot more responsibilities. But um, but I still want to be that hopeful kid again who, who wants to take advantage of, you know, everything that the world has to offer me. Yes, hip-hop was so much better than this emo rap that you hear now. And I don't care if that makes me sound old. Oh, it is. Yeah. Onyx said, it's time to get live, live, live like a wire. Now it's about being depressed mumble rap and all that mess. I want to just understand what they're saying, man. I, I know I'm an old dude now, but like... Yours, mine, it's all about crime. Onyx! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one, two, three. Crew's called BDP. And if you want to get to the hip-hop, stop the violence in hip-hop. Y-O. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I want a Y-O, man. That's all I want Me to do. too. I just want a Y-O. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Apologize for keeping you from your family. Not at all. They, they, they expected me to talk for a while. So they know I can ramble for a while. That was Michael Lee, ladies and gents. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from The Nation magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you got to read. It's The Nation magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe. And please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. 
And now I've got some choice words about a small rebellion on the University of Maryland football team that could have big implications. Okay, look, for those who haven't been following this story, the University of Maryland football squad is currently three and two, which is impressive given the fact that their coach, DJ Durkin, is on administrative leave and the team is in mourning. In the offseason, their teammate Jordan McNair died in non-contact drills from heat stroke, one of more than 30 college football players to die in such a manner since the year 2000. And this has set off a firestorm that has extended beyond the team and onto campus. The negligence that led to McNair's death speaks to the worst of college football, as exposed by the extensive reporting from the school newspaper The Diamondback, not to mention ESPN and The Washington Post. He was bullied and dragged around the field when already showing the effects of organ failure. The team head strength and conditioning coach Rick Court allegedly yelled that teammates should, quote, drag his ass across the field as he was dying. Court left the program with a $350,000 settlement on his contract. McNair's death called attention to what's been described as Durkin's toxic football culture by current and former players as well as parents. Their stories also highlight a persistent feature of big-time revenue-producing college athletics, the powerlessness of players when faced with abusive and even life-threatening coaching. Players have no recourse, no union, no job protections. And yet amid all this pain, we saw last week that rebellion is still possible. Last Friday, 10 days ago, the players stood up and refused to fly to Michigan when they saw the passenger manifest and realized they would be accompanied on the flight by Rick Jacklich, a lawyer and prominent team booster who has gone above and beyond in defending Durkin during these troubled times. In fact, speaking to the Diamondback, Jacklich blamed Jordan McNair for his own death, saying, Jordan didn't do what Jordan was supposed to do. A trainer like Wes Robinson thinks a kid's properly hydrated and runs a drill set up for kids that are properly hydrated. And when the kid didn't drink the gallon he knew he had to drink, that's going to send the wrong signal to the person running the drill. This was too much for the players who refused to fly with Jacklich on the plane. In an interview with the Washington Post, Jacklich blamed the media for their rebellion, saying, and this is hard to even read, uh, I understand how much these kids have been through. They lose one of their best friends and a great kid in Jordan. It's amazing what the coaches have been through. We need to all support each other, and it should be go Terps all the time. And the media keeps picking at a scab, and there are raw feelings there from a lot of people at Maryland. And you can understand when you lose someone as loved as Jordan that there are going to be raw feelings. Yes, he believes that it's the media picking at a scab, not Jacklich for casting blame on McNair for being run to death. In addition, as long as there's no justice or accountability for the death of Jordan McNair, the idea that it should be go Terps all the time is an obscenity. Now, one person who does not think it should be go Terps all the time is Jordan McNair's father, Martin. In a statement issued on Monday afternoon, he said, It has been over 100 days since Jordan died, and school president Wallace Lowe accepted moral and legal responsibility for the death of our son. Our nightmare continues. Words cannot describe the added anguish and new hardship we are now experiencing as we listen to and watch the University of Maryland and surrogates of the university continue to blame our son for his own death during a football practice conducted by adult coaches who should have known better. As for Jacklich, he was fine staying home, but also wistful following Maryland's 42-21 loss at Michigan. I've been on trips for 20 years. I'll be on trips for another 20 years, hopefully, he said. They could have used me. I'm still undefeated when I'm on the sidelines. 
he still doesn't see that right now it's not about wins and losses. It's not about protecting the coach. It's not about, as Jack Litch also said, the media putting heads on pikes. It's about Jordan McNair. And if the school isn't going to ensure a degree of accountability, looks like the players will have no choice but to do it for them. And now it's time for a historical Just Stand Up, Just Sit Down Award. The Just Stand Up Award Stand up. this week goes to John Carlos and Tommy Smith. It is the 50th anniversary, as we spoke about with Michael Lee, of them raising their fists to the heavens at Mexico City, October 16th, 1968. I have an article up in The Nation right now, uh, an exclusive interview with John Carlos, and he says, I've been raising my fist for 50 years, and I'm going to raise it for 50 more. I mean, the fact that these two gentlemen have stood strong for all this time is a remarkable thing. And this should be an opportunity for all of us to take a moment and do what Michael Lee said, like appreciate how far we've come, but also how far we need to go. And the fact that they laid this template for athletic activism, I mean, it just means so much to this new generation of athletes. It's it's rare you meet one who doesn't have that poster of them raising their fists in Mexico City up on their wall. It has stood the test of time. But it's also important for us to know that it wasn't just a moment. It was a movement called the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And what they were fighting for has been proven correct by history. Uh, They wanted an end to apartheid countries uh, being part of the Olympic Games. Uh, They wanted more black coaches hired. Uh, They wanted Muhammad Ali to have his title restored. And they wanted Avery Brundage, the racist head of the International Olympic Committee, to have to step down. That's what they were fighting for. All four of those points have been so proven correct by history. And yet they had to suffer for many decades for taking the stance that they did. And I think even though we've seen them be re-embraced in recent years with statues at San Jose State and statues at the Smithsonian Museum of African American History and Culture, it's still uh, very important that we take a moment to recognize uh, just how important uh, these two are. And let's not forget Peter Norman, the silver medalist who was wearing a button in solidarity that's at Olympic Project for Human Rights, the late, great Peter Norman. So big Just Stand Up award to John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Which leads us to the Just Sit Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Which goes to who else? Brent Musburger, the person who built his career in 1968 by writing an article calling John Carlos and Tommy Smith black skin stormtroopers. So racist. He has never apologized for that. It's disgusting. And I think he should be hounded till his last day to actually comment on this, about why he would say such a thing. Does he regret it? Uh, Does he have anything he wants to say? John Carlos says that it's never been forgiven. And so as long as John Carlos isn't forgiving Brent Musburger, I'm not forgiving Brent Musburger. And the fact that Brent Musburger hasn't been asking for forgiveness is the number one reason uh, why this is the case. So Brent Musburger, before you leave your mortal coil, please step up, be an adult, and admit that you were wrong. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch with the latest comings and goings of Colin Kaepernick. This week it was Colin Kaepernick receiving the W.E.B. Du Bois Award from Harvard University. I think we should use this as a time to uh, actually know who W.E.B. Du Bois was. I think we should use it as an opportunity to say who W.E.B. Du Bois was. Like to actually let people know that 
W.E.B. Du Bois was somebody who helped found the NAACP, the largest civil rights organization in the country, that he edited the NAACP's paper, The Crisis, that he wrote the book, Souls of Black Folks, uh, that he was not only famous in the United States, but all around the world, especially in Africa. And he believed that all Africans around the world should come together. And W.E.B. Du Bois helped organize five Pan-African Congresses from 1919 to 1945. Also wrote the amazing book, Black Reconstruction in America, which I have to say uh, is an incredible book. Let's also point out that uh, Colin Kaepernick won an award named after somebody who always considered himself a socialist. W.E.B. Du Bois sympathized with the poor and favored workers' rights. Uh, He praised the Russian Revolution, but also often criticized the Soviet Union and the U.S. Communist Party. Uh, However, he also condemned the U.S. government and capitalism, and many of his friends were members of the Communist Party. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm quoting John Van Camp, who wrote this amazing write-up of W.E.B. Du Bois in the book, 101 Changemakers, Rebels and Radicals Who Changed U.S. History. So these are the words of John Van Camp. After World War II ended in 1945, the Cold War began. Uh, du Bois advocated peace with the Soviet Union and an end to nuclear weapons. The U.S. government accused Du Bois of being an agent for the Soviet government and put him on trial in 1951. Even though the judge threw out the charges, this made Du Bois even angrier with the government. After being accused of being a communist for so many decades, in 1961, Du Bois finally joined the Communist Party. That same year, he and his wife moved to Ghana in West Africa to work on the Encyclopedia Africana. Du Bois died in Ghana in 1963. That's the person whose name is on the award won by Colin Kaepernick. And that's a hell of a standard for Colin Kaepernick to live up to. Let's hope he does. And now one last segment on the show that I'd like to do is every week I want to recommend a sports book for folks to check out. This week I want to recommend a sports memoir, an autobiography called Out of Their League by Dave Megacy. I love Dave Megacy. He's somebody who retired from the NFL, walked away from the NFL in 1969 out of protest of the way that he felt like professional football aided the militaristic spirit in this country that led to the Vietnam War. It's an amazing book about a football rebel. I can't recommend it enough. It's a forgotten book, and it's so freaking good. It's called Out of Their League. It's by Dave Megacy. Cannot recommend it enough. Well, that's all we have time for for this week. Thank you so much, Michael Lee, for coming on the show. Thank you for the incredible reaction we got last week to our show with Brenda Tracy, our interview with somebody who's on the front lines of fighting uh, rape culture and sports. Just an incredible response to that particular broadcast. If you get the chance, please listen to it. Uh, Also, please go to iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Give us a nice rating. Write something up about the show. It makes a huge difference. Uh, For everybody out there listening, thank you again. We are out of here. Stay frosty. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.